How y'all doing? Praise God. <clears throat> if you're not sitting in the first three rows, I want you to get up and move forward. At least three rows. I, I don't want anybody to be afraid. It's not scary up here. It's cozy up here. friendly up here. Some of you are moving. Some of you aren't. It's okay. I'm just trying to see if we're going to have revival tonight. If we can get people to move forward towards God without an altar call, that there's a good sign that we could have success tonight. Praise God. Isn't this fun? Moving up. Moving up towards Jesus. Moving up towards Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for all of you that participated in humility and obedience and <laughs> pliability and submission. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, um, I have three messages to preach tonight, and I think what I would like to do is if you'll tell your pastor to have me back, this is what I would like to do next year, is I want to have a Holy Spirit convocation where nothing happens but holiness and healing. Would that be good? Would you guys want to do that next year sometime? Okay. Three people do. Good. It's a good chance. Good chance we're going to do that. <clears throat> Isaiah 64, there's this prayer that he said, you know, would you please rend the heavens and come down here? Remember that prophetic prayer? Make the mountains tremble, make the waters boil, you know, that prayer. And then in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, it says that the heavens were torn. So the heavens were rent when Jesus was baptized. It's interesting. He comes up. The dove comes down remains on him. Jesus' ministry was so perfect because it was always in releasing the power of the Holy Spirit that was on him. I believe that our Nazarene foundation is this, that we believe that the Holy Spirit is in us for us, but we believe in the endowment of power that's the Holy Spirit that's on us for others. I really believe that we think when we get the Holy Spirit when we're born again, it's for our own tutelage. It's for our own eternal life. It's for our own leading. But when the Holy Spirit baptizes us and covers us, that's not so just so we look better. I think the dove wants to rest on us so that wherever we go, we can release his presence to others. In fact, I believe that all New Testament ministry is wrapped up in releasing the presence of the dove. In fact, I think it was so keen on Jesus. I said this, I said this last night. When he was walking through that crowd and that lady touched the hem of his garment, he realized when the dove jumped off of him. He was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he knew when the power left him. Wouldn't it be neat to be that sensitive to the Holy Spirit? 
Jesus said this. He says, I cannot say one word that I don't hear Dad say. I can't do one thing unless he shows me to do it. I'm totally limited to my Heavenly Father. And so he stayed so sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading that he could tell when power left him. Is that amazing? Now, he's our example of a perfect Christian. We're not supposed to be like Paul or Peter or anybody. Phineas Brzee, name them. We're supposed to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. Amen. And, and so, um, you know, Peter and John get the baptism of the Spirit along with the other 118 in that room, remember? And so a year later, they're still going to prayer. Every one of those chapters in Acts is like a year maybe. That's what the theologians say. So in Acts 3, it's been a year since Pentecost. They're still praying. A real revival would just not be a series of services. It would be a continual growth in the manifest presence of Jesus. And so they're going to pray. And this guy says, can you give me money? He said, we don't have that. This is what we have because they had the dove. Rise up in the name of Jesus. And they picked him up and he was healed. Isn't that amazing? Then rumors spread. I love how rumors spread in churches. Churches are gossip. They're gossip mills, aren't they? So after they healed that man at the gate beautiful, you go two years down the line. Now they're saying this about Pete. He, on Thursdays, he has crappie over at his Aunt Martha's house. And then he goes and gets his hair cut. So get all the sick people that you know in the road. So when he leaves his lunch and goes to get his hair cut, his shadow will touch him and he'll be healed. You say, well, that's just in the Bible. Wouldn't it be neat if we hosted the dove so well that whatever was on us, if it shattered on someone, it would heal them? Wouldn't it be an amazing church if everybody that drove on the parking lot at Grace Point was healed? If the dove was so present that no matter where it was shining, it would shadow on people that drove in the parking lot? Wouldn't that be exciting? So I see the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the dove, the the manifest presence of God is always produced in the, in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit always makes Him known. That's His job, to elevate and magnify and make Jesus known, to manifest Jesus. Then you got Paul. Paul. Saul. Becomes Paul. You know something significant in your life when your name changes. <clears throat> and Paul gets to the place where when he's done making his tent for the day, he's in the shower, people know where he's showering, and they go and steal his aprons and his rags while he's in the shower. And they say, now, go over to Aunt Ethel, the one who's demon-possessed. Crack the door and throw the towel in on her and she'll be delivered. What is that? That's somebody who hosts the dove so well that the, the reputation builds that there's something on them that brings the kingdom of heaven to earth because something is resting on them. It's the person of Jesus. The anointing, the dove, the Holy Spirit, the power. It's not a theology. It's not a, it's not a theory. It's not a doctrine. It's a person. It's a person. It's 
Jesus. It's Jesus. So, so Jesus said to his disciples, this is what I want you to do with that anointing. And he tells them in Matthew 10. He preaches in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 on the kingdom. And then in Matthew 8 and 9, he models the kingdom. And how do you model a kingdom? Everywhere you go, you preach, and then you teach, and then you heal. You preach, you teach, you heal. You preach, you teach, you heal. You proclaim, and then you explain, and then you demonstrate. That's the kingdom. You proclaim, you explain, and you demonstrate. That's biblical emphasis. Believe it or not, biblical emphasis is not get another degree. Biblical emphasis is do what Jesus is doing and even greater things. That's biblical emphasis. So the disciples come to Jesus because he calls them in Matthew 10, 1, you know, and they're saying, we can't do this. We're not educated. We don't have what you have. And Jesus says, I give you my authority. And then he tells them this in Matthew 10, 7. I love it. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. He says, this is your assignment now. If you're going to replicate me and give the dove away, this is what you do. You heal the sick, you raise the dead, you cast out demons, and you cleanse lepers. Preach the kingdom of God is near. Preach the kingdom of heaven is near. Freely you've received, freely give. What do you, what do you preach? What do you give? The kingdom of God. What is that? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse lepers. That's God's excitement for every one of us in this room tonight. It's in red letters. It's in red letters. So when somebody comes up to you and says, well, what should I do with my life? Tell them, I know. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse lepers. Well, but, but, but I, I don't mean that. I mean, should I be a doctor? Should I have a business? Should I be a lawyer? I don't really care. What do you want to do? Well, I'd like to be a doctor. Good. Get your doctor's degree and then become a doctor and then heal the sick, raise the dead, <laughs> cast out demons, and cleanse lepers. Now, now listen to this. Listen to this. Then they'll say to me, because I have people every, every, everywhere I go, I don't know what God's will is. I always tell them, I do. I know what His will is. And they'll look at me and say, well, should I get married or should I stay single? I said, I don't care. What do you want to do? Well, I'd like to be married. Get married. And then heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and cleanse lepers. It's simple. Replicate Jesus. Replicate Jesus. What did Jesus do? He healed. He raised. He cleansed. He delivered. That's what he did. Amen. So, so check this out. In Matthew 10, 12, he says, when you go into a room, release your peace. If they don't want it, take it back. That sounds weird. Because in Jesus' vernacular, in Jesus' context, peace is not the absence of noise. It's not the absence of traffic. It's not the absence of people. Peace is the atmosphere where he dwells. Peace is the atmosphere of heaven. Peace is the peace of Jesus. In fact, if you really want to get real down to what peace is, John 14, 27, Jesus says, I give you my peace, a peace of me. 
peace is him. Jesus is peace. So what is he saying? When you go into a room, when you go to church, when you go to work, when you go home, when you go to school, wherever you go, release me. Release me. Release the peace. If they don't want it, it'll come back. Now what is that? I just want to break this down. This is just the first of the three messages. The Holy Spirit, the dove, is the presence that, that promotes Jesus, is the one who manifests the presence of Jesus. When you release him, if someone's not ready to receive him as their Lord, he won't waste time. He will come back to you. The example would be Genesis chapter 8. Remember when Noah... It says it stopped raining for 40 days and it dried up. And then it says he released a raven and his dove. It was Noah's personal dove from himself. The raven didn't come back, but the dove flew around and came back because it says he couldn't find a place to rest the soles of his feet. So he waited seven days, and then he re released the dove again, and it flew around, and it got an olive branch. And a dove with an olive branch is the international sign of peace. It came back to him. He waited seven more days and he released the dove again. It didn't come back. It found a place to rest the sole of his feet. So that's what Jesus is saying. Your job as a New Testament spirit-filled holiness Christian is this. To stay filled and endued with the Holy Spirit. And wherever you go, release the presence. Release the dove. Give the presence. Because in the presence is healing, forgiveness, cleansing, breakthrough, deliverance, anything they need is only in the presence. So our job, wherever we go, is to release the peace, release the dove. If they don't want it, he'll come back. Now here's the beauty. In Bible times, when you released the word, when you released the seed, the plow would follow. So it doesn't matter if you've witnessed to your neighbor 10 years. It's not ever going to return void. The Holy Spirit's following the word. Our job is to release the presence. Our job is to release Jesus. If they don't want him, he'll come back to you, but at least you've done what your job is. In Noah's day, it took three times he didn't come back. Now, I love this picture God gave me from Isaiah 43, 7. It is the picture that the angel of the Lord came and spoke to Ezekiel, the son of man. He says, Ezekiel, do you see this? This is the temple of God. This is where the glory is emptying heaven and filling the earth because this is where the soles of my feet rest. The temple of God that draws the glory from heaven to fill the earth realm is a person who has submitted their life so the Holy Spirit doesn't just use us as a footstool like he does his enemies, Psalms 110, but he rests the soles of his feet on our heart because we let him reign in dominion over every aspect of our life. That is the temple of the Holy Spirit that empties the glory from heaven and pours through us and our bodies become the wellspring of living water to where out of our inmost being flow rivers that represent the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, so he says, wherever you go, give it away. Just give me away. Doesn't matter if they want it. You just give me away. I'll do the work. I just want you to stay full and endued with me. So in John chapter 20, Jesus walks through the wall. Remember, they're afraid because it's illegal to be a Christian and he's been resurrected. And, and they don't know he's resurrected because... Mary and Martha haven't told him yet, so they're hiding in the room, remember? And Jesus walks to the room, and he goes, Boo! <laughs> he didn't do that. But they were afraid. Remember, they were afraid. 
And, and so Jesus says, peace. So he taught him in Matthew 10, but he explained it and modeled it in Matthew or John 20. Now this is the beautiful thing. I love this. He says this. He says, as the Father sent me, now I send you. As the Father sent me, now it's your turn. And this is what he did. Receive the Spirit. All New Testament ministry is wrapped up in this one line. Releasing the presence of Jesus wherever you go. He did not say, as the Father sent me, now it's your turn, heal. As the Father sent me, now it's your turn, preach to a thousand. As the Father sent me, now it's your turn, be a good husband. As the Father sent me, now it's your turn, have some good vacation time. He didn't say none of that. You know what he did? He showed what it meant to replicate the ministry of Jesus. As the Father sent me... This is how you do it. Give away what you're full of. Does anybody hear me? Now, here, here, here begs the question. If you're depressed, what do you have to give but depression? If you're religious, what do you have to give but theology? If you're in fear, what do we have to give but fear? But if we're in intimacy and love and full and stuffed with the glory, what do we have to give but Him? Isn't this fun? So that's the first message. Wasn't hard, was it? Now we're going to the second one. There's a sign out there on the wall that's the mission statement of our Nazarene denomination. And it says, making Christ-like disciples. In the nations. That's our call, isn't it? Now Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus probably would be the perfect example of a disciple of the Father. A disciple is an intimate companion. A close associate. A replica. A reproduction of. The one that they're being discipled by. not a trick question. So, so I wrote these things down in my Bible. You might find this interesting. If I can find them. Yes. The word disciple is used 67 times in Matthew. 44 times in Mark. 73 times in John. 34 times in Luke. And 29 times in Acts. And if you want this stuff, i got CDs. But I, I do. But listen to me. But here's what we've done in American Christianity. We have reduced being an intimate companion replica reproduction of Jesus to just half of who he was. All we focus on is the morality, the purity, the ethical part. But we don't even think about the power, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the healing part. So if we're not trying to replicate the real Jesus, then what are we doing? It's religion instead of intimacy. Am I right? Here's some figures that you might find interesting. If you take the miracles out of Jesus' life and just talk about his ethical side, you have to take 44% of Matthew out of the Bible. 
You have to take 65% of Mark out of the Bible. You have to take 29% of Luke, 30% of John. Now check this out. The book of Acts. If you take the miracles out of the book of Acts that the first generation Nazarenes performed, you have to take 27% of Acts out of the Bible. But if you take the prophetic utterances, the prophetic talk, you have to take another 22.5%. So if you take the supernatural part of what the first 35 years of the spirit-filled Christians lived like, you have to take 49.5% of Acts out of the Bible if you're just going to talk about the natural and the morality side of them. This is going to get better. <clears throat> Believe me. Now, now, now listen, listen to me. Acts is not the revelation of the church. Acts is the genesis of the church. Acts would be the threshold of where the river starts. And if we're referring to Ezekiel 47, it should be deeper now and not in Acts. It's not. Our shadows aren't healing people. Our aprons aren't healing people. 3,000 people aren't getting saved with 30-second sermons. Foundations aren't shaking. God hasn't weakened. God hasn't shrunk back. We have changed. He hasn't. Are you with me? And I know this is the remnant, Friday night remnant. That's where revival starts, by the way. There's sufficient numbers here for revival to start. Amen? And, and so Jesus, you know, um, we've got everything backwards. And, and I'm going to say things that will get me in trouble, but I don't care. In, in the American Theological Seminary Society, the ATS, they never re reward people for biblical emphasis or anointing levels. They only reward people for academic achievement. We should be rewarding people for replicating Jesus and not replicating man's ideas about Jesus. My friend Craig Rich told me that he, don't, he doesn't think Nazarene should ever ordain another minister until they do three miracles. I believe him. I believe him. I don't think what we know impresses the world but I think if they feel the manifest presence of Jesus touching them, it'll draw all the world in. It says in the scriptures that Jesus is the desire of all nations. If he really showed up in our church, we wouldn't have trouble getting people to come. And, and so here, here it is. Um, in the first 35 years of church history, there's 87 prayers recorded in the book of Acts and the epistles. 87 prayers are recorded. Of the 87 prayers, 76 of those prayers are asking God for more dunamis, charismatic power to perform the miracles that Jesus has called them to perform. 87 prayers in the first 35 years of church history in the Bible, 76 of those prayers are not asking God to help us with sin. They're asking God to give us more power so we can replicate the ministry of Jesus. Five of those prayers are for sin, help with sin. Seventy-six are give us more power. Five are help with sin. Seventy-six are give us more power. Five are help us with sin. 
and six of the prayers that are left, you cannot tell the intended outcome. You don't know what they're praying for. They're just kind of praying. Now, do we replicate that in our prayer life? God hasn't changed. We have. We've got to get back to believing the Bible. We've got to get back to believing the Holy Spirit is still the same. We've got to get back to believing Jesus hasn't changed. Amen. Amen. So the manifest, the manifestation of Jesus is what I want to talk about for a little bit. Um, it, it says in Galatians 1.15, I'll start there. It, it says that it pleased God to separate me from my mother's womb. And the next verse says, so that the Son of God could be manifested in me, so that I would have something to preach to the Gentiles. Paul said this, now that manifest is to reveal, to make known, to show up in. Not half of Jesus, the manifest presence of Jesus, where you have purity, holiness, power, healing, all coming out of a person. Paul said, I have nothing to preach about unless Jesus is showing off in me. In John 14, 21, it says this in red letters. He who obeys my commands, I will manifest myself in him. That is a different word, but it has the same meaning. It means to reveal myself in him, to show up in him, and to show off in him. Jesus wants a person to show off in so the world knows that there's a glorious God in heaven. say, well, how many commands are there? I don't know how many commands there are. I know that Jesus said 70. I found 70 commands that Jesus did. And it's in red letters that we need to obey them. Oh, okay. So, so then I have this, this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the profit of all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the profit of all. You have to understand that Jesus gives us this manifestation of the Holy Spirit through the fruit and the gifts. The manifestation. That's the word phaneros. It means light. It means public. But really what it means is to put on exhibit or put on display or to party or display one's character or nature. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to the children of God to put on display the character and the nature of the Holy One who gives us the Spirit. Now, there are different kinds of effects that happen when the Spirit hits people. And I'm just going to say some things. What I have seen this year in my ministry, there's an increase in the anointing. There's more miracles. There's been deaf people get their hearing. A lot of pastors have been deaf and gotten their hearing. Last week, deaf pastors got their hearing. People have gotten off of wheelchairs. People have gotten off of sick beds. Cancer's been healed. Eyes have been healed. I mean, every miracle in the Bible. Dead people have come back. Every miracle in the Bible, there's an increase in the anointing, and this is what I've noticed. The greater the manifest presence of Jesus, the more different people react. Sometimes people start crying. Sometimes people start shaking. Sometimes people will moan. There's been people speaking tongues, believe it or not, in Nazarene churches. Sometimes people fall down. Sometimes people will start shouting. Sometimes people will sing. Now, this is what I want to warn you about. Tonight, if, God, if you're obedient, God's going to manifest His presence. He's going to come tonight. 
He's going to touch people in this room. And if you watch how people react, instead of keeping your eyes on the Spirit, you'll miss everything God's doing. If you try to watch, well, is that person getting emotional? Is that person doing... If you get your eyes off of what the Spirit's doing, and you watch the effects of how He affects people, then the church will be divided in this room. It's the only thing I'm going to say about that. I don't understand none of it. I just know the manifestations have been happening since the beginning of the church. They happened in John Wesley's meetings. Sometimes 500 people would be swooned and, and laid out in the spirit. Sometimes they would shake. Sometimes they would scream. It happened in Whitfield's meetings. It happened in Jonathan Edwards' meetings. It happened in Phineas Brzee's meetings. It happened in H.C. Morrison's meetings. The, the manifestation of the spirit doesn't just come and make you feel all warm and fuzzy sometimes. Sometimes he has to do some real renovation projects. Are you with me? So I just want you to know that. Then there's this verse. This verse, 1 Peter 2.9. He says, this is the description of what a sanctified person should really be like. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And a holy nation, so that you can proclaim his glorious praises. Now listen to this. Peter uses three adjectives to describe a sanctified person. Number one, he uses the word chosen, which is ekletos. And it means you're favored. You're favored of God. When you let God crucify you and sanctify you, you're favored. You're highly favored. That's okay, isn't it? Then he says you are a royal priesthood. Now that's the word basilios. It's where we get basilica or regal or authority. A priest. Huh. There are seven duties of a priest mentioned in Numbers 3.31. You can look it up later. They all point to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 5 it says the priest's duty is to offer gifts and sacrifices. A priest of God is to offer gifts and sacrifices. What would that mean in our context? Well, everywhere we go, if we're full of the dove, we should be, beseech our brothers in view of God's mercy to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. The offering would be the offering. The sacrifice would be the sacrifices. If we're truly spirit-filled, sanctified, holiness people, our passion should be to let people have what we have. Is anybody with me? He says that you're a holy nation. <clears throat> so that. That's a henna clause. The reason why God chooses you, makes you royal, and makes you holy is for one reason. So he can proclaim. That is a compound word. Exegelo. Ex means in public, out front, the foremost. Agelo means display. Proclamation, if you put them together, this is what it means. Jesus sanctifies you, makes you royal, and makes you holy, and chooses you for one reason. He wants to show off His glory in you to the world. He wants to use you as His billboard. He wants our lives to be a megaphone of glory. Is that good news? Some of you are like scowling at me. 
It's easier to accept the Spirit with a smile. Amen. So, this goes along with Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 11, chapter 18, chapter 36. Remember the prophecy was he would take our heart out, that's stony and hard. And he would give us his heart. And then give us his spirit so that we would want to follow his laws and decrees. Now listen to this. Then he tells them, I didn't do it because of your pedigree. I didn't do it because of your numbers or your worthiness. The only reason I'm making you holy is for my name's sake. I want to show the world how holy I am to a people. It's the same as 1 Peter 2.9. He wants our lives to be a shining resemblance of his glory. Is this awesome? So, so, so Jesus is our example, right? We got that down. We want to be like Jesus. That's what being sanctified is. I think the world definition of sanctified, we should be priestified to replicate the high priest ministry of Jesus. He wants us to replicate him. He wants us to do the same things he did even greater. John 14, 12. Now, now, look at this. So in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 12 years old, and he's with his mom and daddy at Passover. Remember that? It's, it, they're, they're doing the Passover. He's 12. Remember this? Just shake your hand with me. Okay. Because this is my second sermon. I've got to get to number three. So just help me. So it says at age 12 that Jesus was filled. Filled. With wisdom and grace. Now, wisdom is the word Sophia, and it means keen insight, deep understanding, revelation. The word grace is the word charis, where we get charisma, gifts, anointing, power. The word filled is the word pleru. Which just means he was stuffed. Jesus was stuffed with the Word and the Spirit. I'm going to say something, my friends in Northeast Indiana. You can know the Word, and it will not give you the anointing that Jesus wants you to operate in unless you let the Spirit have His way. Satan knows the Word. It's not enough to have knowledge. We must have the the utterance, the revelation. We have to have both. Are you with me? So, So Jesus at age 12 was stuffed with the Word and the Spirit, with purity and power, with doctrine and display, with the form and the fire. He was filled with both at age 12. And he's our example of a perfect Christian. So we could preach the full gospel message to 12-year-olds. I've heard many, many, many youth pastors say we should not preach holiness to people until they're 25. We're setting them up for failure. Are you kidding? Jesus is our example. And so mom and dad 
lose Jesus. How about that one? They lost him doing holy things. They were at Passover. It would be like revival. We're at revival, but we lost Jesus. So here's my question. If Jesus, now just think about this honestly with me tonight. If Jesus isn't manifesting out of us in supernatural purity and power, are we assuming he's with us because we're doing holy things? If we're not leading people to the Lord, if we're not healing the sick, if we're not raising the dead, if we're not casting out demons, if we're not doing what Jesus said, are we assuming he's with us because we put money in an offering plate? If he's not manifesting out of us, then I don't know how much he is with us. So three days go by, right? And they're, they're in torment. And they're in distress. And they're in anguish. And they find him. And they say, where have you been? And he says, I'm just doing my father's business. I mean, I was in his house talking about him. And, well, you've worried us to death. And come on. and Let's go home. So Jesus follows them home. And he becomes subject to mom and dad. He honors them. He humbles himself. You know, I, 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 I read this thing, of this kenos that Jesus did in Philippians 2, this kenos. You know, the form of Jesus is eternal. But the Jesus in the bodily form was only 33 years. Now listen to this. Jesus has been around forever. He's forever. He's before time because he is I am. Jesus says, I am the beginning and the end. He's not one of the starts. He's not a starting point. He is the starting point. He, Jesus is forever. But he laid hold of flesh to become one of us. He grabbed flesh. For 33 years. So he could identify with us. And show us that it's possible. To manifest Jesus in the flesh. He doesn't just want his presence manifested for 33 years of history. He wants his presence manifested in every one of our lives. The whole Jesus. So he becomes subject to mom and dad. He goes back home and everybody's like in awe of his words. And Mary guarded these things in her heart. Terrero. It's diaterero. It's like. Every word he spoke, the word things is the word rhema. Every word Jesus spoke was revelation. Everything he spoke was rhema. It was live. Because it was from heaven. He only said what he heard the Father say. Every word he spoke was revelatory. And then it says in Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and favor. Wisdom, Sophie, a favor, Kara, same thing. Increased is the word prokopto, which 
was originally a word that meant to make progress against great adversity or gale force winds. Jesus stayed stuffed with the word and the spirit because he never shrunk back. He always pressed ahead against great adversity. Doubt, religion, fear, carnality, sin, Satan, loneliness, suffering, burdens, darkness, the way of the world. He just kept pressing ahead. And that's how he kept increasing. He stayed stuffed by staying in step with the Spirit. It doesn't mean he was always preaching. There would be times he'd be doing a big miracle crusade, and he would say, okay, I'm done. He'd go rest. Everything he did was on the impulse of the Father. That word evolved, that word increased, evolved later on to, to mean this, to make progress even against as many blows would hit you. In other words, it evolved into meaning that sometimes being obedient you're going to take blows of opposition. And then one of the expositors that I studied this word for Copto on said this, at the time of Jesus' death, this is what it meant. That word increased in the Greek language meant this at the time of his death. To even make great progress, even as metal comes down on nails, as a hammer would hit nails. So from age 12 to age 33, Jesus Increased. He increased. Now, if Jesus needs to increase, do you think Nazarenes do? Is he our example? If he needs to increase, do we? Well, someone will say to me, some, I've, heard, I've heard, oh, I hate to say this, I've heard pastors tell me this. Well, my sins are becoming less and less. Bless me, Father, for I, I mean, what is that? What, li, listen to this. Jesus never sinned. So to increase like Jesus increased, you don't sin less because he never sinned. So when he says he increased, and we're supposed to replicate the ministry and life of Jesus if we're a disciple of Jesus, our increasing isn't becoming more holy. Our increase is becoming more Christ-like. In other words, two trips to the altar may not be good enough. Are you with me? I got one church here that really likes me. <laughs> now, now listen to this. Listen to this. Um, when Jesus first started his ministry, like in the Synoptic Gospels, the first miracle he did was a fever. And then a few months in, he gets a person off of a mat. And then a couple years in, he puts new eyeballs in the guy in John 9. He grabs dirt and makes mud balls, and, and he made us out of dirt. So it was like representing a creative miracle. So the farther Jesus walked in his awareness that he really was fulfilling the purposes of God 
and the kingdom of heaven on earth through flesh, the greater his anointing and the greater his miracles appeared. Now you think about this one. The first, piece, the first person that Jesus resurrected from the dead was Jairus' daughter, who was dead a few minutes. The second person that Jesus raised from the dead was the widow Nain's son. A few hours, maybe a day. The third person he raised from the dead was four days. His resurrections intensified. He increased. I, I preached a little bit earlier about Matthew chapter 10 when he called his disciples and he said, I give you my authority, remember? But if you get to Matthew 28, after he's risen from the dead, he says, now all authority. All authority. I want you to hear this. Listen to me. Listen to me. God can't give himself all authority. He already has it. He gave it to a man named Jesus, who's our older brother that wants us to step into his shoes and walk as he walks. He said in John 17, as the Father sent me, now I send you. He said in John 20, as the Father sent me, now I send you. What does that mean? What I've been doing, start doing it. Isn't this exciting? <laughs> I don't feel like there's any enemies here. It's not fun unless there's a fight. I feel like everybody wants to see the glory. So Jesus increased, and we should increase. Amen. So that's sermon number two. Now I'll finish with these thoughts, and then we'll close how the Holy Spirit would deem best. Is that okay? Um, I'm just going to go through some of the miracles that I've seen just this year, not the last four years, just this year. In January, we started at Brady's Church. When he wasn't here. I was almost afraid to come here because that means he'll probably be gone when I come back. That was a joke. Are you kidding? I don't want him to be gone. I want to come back to Fort Wayne. I want to see the difference that this church will be in when we're no longer just good Nazarenes, but we're kingdom people that replicate Jesus. So in that holy convocation, C.B. Glidden, the pastor of Fort Worth First Church's diabetes was healed. How did that happen? Jesus manifested. Pastor's wife in Chandler, Arizona's lungs were healed. Jeannie Milhuff's ankles were healed. How did that happen? The manifestation of Jesus. Are you with me? Tamara Ashran's MS was healed. Multiple sclerosis. I had a word of knowledge that there was a financial breakthrough for somebody in a section of the, of the church. And I said, if you'll shout, it'll happen. And Randy Ehrlich stood up and shouted, and he got a $4 million contract on his iPhone the moment he shouted. This was a Nazarene church. 
Because we're like the Nazarene if we'll let the Holy Spirit make us. And there's provision in the Nazarene. I said this in Elkhorn. I'm going to say it here. If Jesus starts manifesting out of you, the Magi will look for you. What does that mean? There'll be supernatural provision looking for people who are manifesting the presence of Jesus. So in February, I went from there to California. Went to, to six churches in California in February. And the first church was in Vacaville. And we prayed for a lady who had elephantitis that could not wear shoes for seven years. And God instantly healed her feet. And the next night she had on shoes for the first time in seven years. Her legs and her feet shrunk all the way to normal in one night. And a 90-year-old lady at the next church, which is a church in the suburb of San Francisco, a 90-year-old lady was delivered from shame from her uncle who had abused her sexually when she was a little girl and she was 90. And she got healed of shame. And in that revival, outside of San Francisco, a lady in her 60s was healed of cancer. Then we went from there to the largest Nazarene church in America, Pismo Beach. And there were over 100 healings in one service. And probably 300 people were sanctified that night. So you see, when Jesus manifests, there's Acts 15, 8 and 9 and Acts 15, 12. There's purification of hearts, and there's signs and miraculous wonders and healings. When? When Jesus manifests. Then in March, I did my tour with Dr. Kramer, who's the DS of North and South Dakota and Minnesota. And I'm just going to give you one example of one service, and they all were supernaturally charged, every one of them. In fact, Dr. Kramer called me this week, and he said because of the fire that was lit in that one month of March, they're starting 23 new churches right now in that district, and it's never happened in the history of the district. Listen to me. Every one of those pastors caught a vision of the kingdom. There's only 70 churches on the district. 23 new ones are starting right now. There'll be 93. So, so I pull up to Jamestown, and the pastors had everybody fasting for 40 days. And when you come to a place that's fasting for 40 days, you don't even have to preach. <laughs> so the Sunday morning I preached, and 120 people came forward to be sanctified. And after 120 people prayed to be sanctified, then a Catholic lady came up to me, and she said, I can't walk. She had a walker. Her feet were bent in. She said, I have to have surgery on my feet. Would you pray for me? Sure. Put my hand on her head, in Jesus' name be healed. That night she came back without a walker, with no feet problems. Her feet were straight. She said, God has healed my feet. She was a 65-year-old Catholic lady. Now listen, I said, what are you doing in a Nazarene church? She said, you prayed for my friend in Valley City, North Dakota, last year when you were here, and she was healed. She told me I should come. So that night, she brought her 85-year-old Catholic mama to church. She had a white-haired lady, never been in a a Protestant church, let alone Nazarene revival. That night, the 85-year-old mama got saved. So in the morning, the lady's feet were healed. Dr. Kramer put this in his praise report. That night, the mama was saved. The next night, the lady brought her husband, who was dying of cancer. I put my hands on him and said, in Jesus' name, be healed. 
The next night he came back and he brought me some silver coins and some gold coins. He started giving me money at the table. He started giving me coins like Krugerrands. Holy smokes. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I don't like this. That was his words. I like my coins. But God told me to do it because I've never felt God before. And when you prayed for me last night, I felt electricity go through my body. Well, that's a manifestation. Sometimes people ask me, well, the stuff that's happening, you know, some people fall down or some people start shouting or people whatever. Where do you find that in the Bible? I don't know. Where's hankies in the Bible? Where's that at? Where's Phineas Brzee's ball of fire in the Bible? You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. This is what I do know. I'm not preaching heresy. I'm preaching the truth of the word that God wants to show up in a big way again. He didn't want to start strong in Acts and finish weak. Why would he give those people everything and keep us restricted with nothing? He wants us to have everything. So I left there. Then we went to um, West Virginia and did a tour on the Northwest Virginia District. And the first night, now listen to this, the first night that I was there, um, my friend who gave me a house, I have a man on my board that gave me a house because God touched him when I prayed for him. He was a man that was filled with the Spirit. And God told him to give me a house. So maybe tonight if God touches somebody, you'll want to give me a house. I don't know, but it, but it happened. It happened. And so he called me, and he said, he said, Todd is dead. My boy died of cancer. I want you to know he's with Jesus. And that was before my first service of that North Virginia, West Virginia tour. And I had no faith, and I was broken. And I understand, and I want you to hear this. I do believe there's four ways that God heals in the Bible. I believe that. I believe the Bible. I don't argue with one person. I'm not contentious. I have nothing to prove. I believe the Bible. I just believe the Word. And in the Bible, God heals instantly. And in the Bible, sometimes God heals in a process. One time that when Jesus prayed for those lepers, they were healed as they went. And one time, Jesus gave Paul grace that's sufficient. And I believe that's a form of biblical healing. And everybody except for two people, Enoch and Elijah, have died. And one of God's ways of healing is to take us to where he's at. So I believe God heals everybody. I believe he heals everybody. Every time he heals. I don't ever ask for God to heal you in a process. I don't do that. I wouldn't ask for God to save you in a process. I wouldn't say, God, would you sanctify him on the six-month plan? I don't believe that. I believe that the soteriology family of words is spirit, soul, and body. And I believe if he'll save us instantly, I think he can heal us instantly. So I always ask for God to do it now. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's grace. Sometimes people die. But I believe he always wants to heal. So let's don't pray unbiblical prayers. 
God, if it's your will, would you heal? That's not in the Bible. Let's be biblical. Let's say, God, heal. You told us to pray for the sick. You told us to heal the sick. You told us to lay hands on the sick. We're going to believe your word. Let's don't try to talk him out of what he wants to do. Amen. And so I'm preaching that night. I go in there. I don't know what I'm going to preach. I have no faith. I have no feeling. And God says, preach on healing. Are you kidding? The man who gave me a house, a boy died. And I'm supposed to preach on healing. So I preached on healing with no emotion, no faith, nothing. I asked who wants to be healed. People filled the front aisles, the front pews. We laid hands on them. Nothing. The next night I preached on sanctification. The front of the church filled with people wanting to be sanctified. And after the service, when people had prayed through, the pastor says, does anybody have a testimony of healing? I thought there would be nothing. I had nothing. But I was reminded of this. 2 Timothy 2.13 Even when you become faithless, He remains faithful. Because He cannot deny Himself when He's in you. Is that good news? So the first person to stand up and testify was the worship leader. And she says, I have blindness in my right eye and I can see tonight. That's a good one on a good night, let alone a bad night. Okay? The next person that stood up said, I was in a car wreck in 2000, and for 12 years I've had whiplash, and I didn't take my pills last night. I have had no pain today, and my neck is healed. The third person that stood up says, I came forward last night, and you prayed for my son who's on dialysis. And I went in this morning, and they didn't have to do it because his kidneys are working. What would that be an example of? Increasing. Even when... Somebody you prayed for for two years has died. Obedience to the word is how you increase. You don't shrink back. You keep pressing ahead. Are you with me? Then I went to Ohio. Did a revival in Obetz. Did a revival in Columbus. And then I went to do a Sandusky prayer awakening. And at Sandusky there there was one lady that came forward with cancer. Two people had to bring her forward. My daddy was behind her. The two ladies brought her forward. She couldn't walk because of the pain. The cancer was all up and down her back. And she said, would you pray for me? I said, yes. I put my hand on her head. I said, in Jesus' name, be healed. And she walked back with those people helping her to the back. And I saw her sit down. Then about two minutes later, I saw her get up. And she started walking back and forth, talking to people on the back. And I'm looking at her, my dad's pointing back there, and I'm saying, what is it? And she walked back up, and she says, can I testify? And within two minutes, she said, all the pain has left my body. I don't feel the bump on my back, and I think God has healed me. In two minutes. That's the state right next to this state. Then Polly comes up to me, and she's the violin player that plays that electric, computerized violin in their praise team. And she says, Brother Dan, um, I, um, 
I have nightmares every night of my life because my daddy raped me for four years when I was a girl. I can't forgive my daddy and I can't sleep. And she's 50 some years old. She says, would you pray for me? And I said, yes, Polly. I said, I can't do anything, but Jesus can. And I remember looking in her eyes saying, you don't need to trust one person in this room, but you can trust Jesus. And I touched her cheek. kind of I just kind of touched her just like that. And she fell over in the spirit. And she was out for like 30, 40 minutes. She came up. She was crying. I got an email from her two weeks later when I was at Glenn Gardner's church finishing the revival at Flint Central, which I went there from Sandusky. And she said, Brother Dan, since God healed me, I have not had one nightmare, and I have forgiven my daddy. She just emailed me about a week ago, which would be four months, five months later. I still haven't had one nightmare. You say, well, where is that in the Bible? I don't know. All I know is she's healed. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not impressed if you shake, if you cry, if you have tears, if your makeup runs, if you fall down, if you run. I could care less what you do. This is what I care about. Will you let the Holy Spirit touch your heart? Will you let Him do what He wants to do? Is that the important part? Let's don't fight Him with fear or religion or let's cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You know, I go in charismatic churches and sometimes I can tell they do stuff because it's their culture. Just like Nazarenes do stuff that's their culture. I believe that 90% of what Baptists, Nazarenes, and Charismatics do is culture. I'm not interested in the 90%. I would like this to be a room where we get into the 10% where we just let the Spirit do what He wants to do. Amen. So I left Sandusky and went to Glenn Gardner's church. And, and the, on Sunday morning, 160 people got saved. Holy cow. On Sunday night, about 500 people got sanctified. On Monday night, we had a healing service. And people were getting healed, and several people kind of slumped over in the spirit. at went central, and it's like real stoic. And one lady comes up to me, and she was a really sharp, sharp lady. And she says, Brother Dan, I need healing. I have pain in my abdomen. I've got intestine problems. I need healed. I said, okay, what's your name? She goes, my name is Kay. And I can share this. I don't ever share anything unless someone makes a public testimony. I would never do anything to hurt anybody. And I said, Kay, okay. And I started to pray for her. And God says, don't pray for her healing. Pray that I would take her fear away. She wants healed. And he verified it. I could hear God. I said, Kay, I'm not supposed to pray for your healing, but God wants to heal your fear. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And then I just barely touched her. Boom. She fell down. Right in front of 1,200 people. And I'm thinking, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't do that. And I didn't. I, you don't do that. And I'm looking at her, and her husband's down there crying. And Pastor Glenn's 
standing there by her. And about 20 minutes later, she comes to and she looks at her husband. And she says, I know why I married you. Well, that was good. <laughs> well, a- after the service, she said, can I take you out to eat? Me and my dad were there. My boy Chatty was doing the worship. And my dad, who's 80, was with me. And then Glenn Gardner, the pastor, and this lady and her husband took us to Applebee's. And we're sitting there, and she says, you know, I'm a president of two banks. I'm not emotional. Okay. She goes, I was raised Baptist. I don't even believe in this stuff. Okay. She says, when you started praying, I felt this electricity, and I felt this glory, and I just, I just couldn't stand up. She goes, I've never thought ever that would happen to me. But she says, when I came to, I had no fear. And I've been afraid my whole life. And she's a president of two banks living in fear. This is amazing. So she went through two surgeries after that. And she emailed me. And she says, in the waiting room before my surgeries, I used to be afraid of whether I'd wake up or not. And I was able to tell God, I don't even care if you take me home, God. I have such peace in my heart. Is that amazing? Now, I could go on. I could go on. I've seen people out of wheelchairs three times this year. Um, when I went to Nampa First Church, Dan, anybody heard of Dan Ketchum, the NMI guy for the Nazarene denomination? I was preaching a message on faith, and his 90-year-old mama came walking down right in front of Nampa First Church. Like, there's 1,500 people. She comes walking down on her cane and interrupts the whole sermon. She's all bent over on her cane. And I look at this 90-year-old, I said, what's wrong? She goes, I hurt. I want Jesus to heal me. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for letting us all know. I mean, she just walked right down front. And, and so I put my hand on her head. And I said, Jesus, just touch this precious lady and take away her pain. And, Lord, I want you to do such a healing that her husband, Bert, she married an old retired DS, Bert Daniels. He's 93. I said, Lord, heal her in such a way that her husband won't even recognize who he's sleeping with tonight. That's a good prayer, isn't it? They're married. So I turned around and walked back to the front, and I, and I heard this noise, and she threw her cane down. And she walked up like this, and she stood up straight, and she walked back to her seat, hugging everybody in the aisle, saying, the pain is gone. The pain is gone. The pain is gone. The pain is gone. A 90-year-old lady, the pain is gone. When she did that, a man sitting in the congregation went and got his 7-year-old daughter who was in children's church for the revival because the Holy Spirit showed him the miracle power of God was in the room, the manifest presence of Jesus. He brings his 7-year-old daughter in the room. She has asthma. She said, would you pray for my daughter? Yes. In Jesus' name, be healed. The next night, the daughter comes back, no inhalers, no pills, no drugs, running in the parking lot of the church with her daddy, no gasping. Is anybody with me? A lady got her hearing at Nampa First Church. A man with headaches and knee problems and back problems was instantly healed. A lady with fibromyalgia was instantly healed. They had over a hundred documented healings at Nampa First Church. 
that was three, four weeks ago. You say, Brother Dan, how did this happen? Jesus manifested. Jesus is the healer. He's the deliverer. He's the miracle worker. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So, in my ministry, I have found two and a half things that God cannot work with. Number one is sin. If there's sin in your life, it blocks the power of Jesus from working in your life. Number two is fear. If there's fear in your life, it squelches the faith that's necessary to let Jesus touch you. And the half thing you can't work with is ignorance once you know better. I believe tonight you know too much. And once you know better and you stay in disobedience, it becomes rebellion. Are you with me? Now here is the way that I will end this. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, Jesus says, You err in this, in that you don't understand the Word of God, nor the power of God. Now that word err in the Greek is a word that means you're on a slippery slope you're going downstream away from God if you don't understand and operate in the Word and the Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, I want to address you as spiritual people, but I can't. Pneumaticus people, people who flow in the supernatural are mature, normal Christians. People that don't flow in the supernatural manifest presence of Jesus are immature Christians. Paul said in Romans 1.11, I long to see you so that I can impart to you some spiritual gift so that you can be established. I looked up Wesley's notes on that because I always go to Wesley first because he dug the truth and light out of darkness. He was a stud. I mean, I mean that. Everybody owes a debt of gratitude to what John Wesley did. He says that what that verse is referring to is Paul had such a burning compassion and passion in his heart, he couldn't wait to see people face to face and lay hands on them and give them the supernatural manifestation of the Spirit that he had. He couldn't wait to give it to people. Because it's the only thing that grounds a person. It's not intelligence, it's not learning, it's the supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit. That grounds you. So we're going to do this, I think, in an orderly way, the way God would like it. If there is sin in your life tonight, and you don't want there to be any sin before we start praying, I mean sin of religion, sin of gossip, sin of lust, sin. Ask God. The revival meetings would be hmm, a display of 2 Corinthians 13.5. From time to time, examine yourselves to see if you still be in the faith. It's, it's a ramped up 139 Psalms. Search me. 
revealed to me. Is there any sin? Because he can't work with sin. Or, Brother Dan, we're Nazarenes. Good. That's where sin needs to get. We need to get rid of sin. We need to have the power of the Holy Spirit as normal church again. Don't you believe that, church? Now, I'm not, I'm not, I, I am against legalism, and I am against manipulation, and I am against false guilt. I hate it. But if the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you haven't, you haven't embraced the power. You've settled for man's display instead of mine. You've let hurts and brokenness get your eyes off of what my Bible says. And I want you to repent so that you can let me do what I want to do again in your life. Sin manifests a lot of ways. If you want your heart to be free from all sin, I don't know what else to say. All sin then would you come and stand here with me and let's pray a prayer of repentance. I want you to move right now if you want your heart to be free of all sin. Just move to the front. Just just stand in the front. If the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart of any sin, I want you just to move to the front. I don't want us to be ashamed of the gospel. I want us to be free enough to get rid of sin so our hearts are clean and there's no condemnation. Anybody else? You say, Brother Dan, I don't want any sin. I don't want any shame. I don't want anything in my heart. I don't want any of the lies of the enemy anymore to have jurisdiction over my life. I want a squeaky clean heart. I want my heart clean from sin. Anybody else? Should Brother Dan, don't Brother Dan, if Jesus has tapped on your heart and said, I want to forgive you of all sin, I want your heart clean, I want you to have a pure heart, I don't want any stain, I don't want anything in there that blocks my spirit from having his way. If Jesus has convicted you tonight of sin, I don't want you to negotiate a deal and wonder what anybody would say, I just want you to say, okay, I'm coming out, I'm coming in the light. My heart's going to be clean. Just come forward if he's convicted you of any sin. Now, Jesus, your word says in John 20 that we're supposed to forgive people. I can't forgive these people, but I can pray it. We're supposed to replicate the ministry of Jesus. So, God, I just pray for the grace that these people would forgive themselves so you could forgive them. I don't want false condemnation tonight. I don't want heaps of guilt on anybody tonight. I just want freedom in the hearts of your people tonight. Lord, we just want freedom. We don't want to be weirded out. We just want to be normal Christians that are free from sin. Free from sin. We don't want to be survivors just holding on in darkness and bondage. We want to be thrivers. More than conquerors. So, Lord, if it's gossipy, if it's, if it's cynicism, if it's faithlessness, if it's cowardness, if it's traditions of men, if it's the yeast of the Pharisees, Sadducees, or Herod, if it's lust, God, we don't want to leave this room with any sin. 
We want it blotted out. We want it taken away. That's revival. When you get all the entanglements out of us so we can call on your name again. So revive your church, God, with washing their hearts. Wash our minds. Save our brains. Give us a sound mind. Give us purity and righteousness. So just whatever your sin is, just whisper it to Jesus. Just say, God, I'm coming out. I'm in the light. Just, just give it to him. Let him take it. Just repent and turn from all sin and just let God cleanse your heart right now. When you do that, church, just pray. Just pray out to God and let's let him purge us and let's let him cleanse us. And Lord, a lot of these people have been sanctified, but there's things that have crept in. Well, Lord, we don't want any creepers tonight. We don't want nothing in our hearts tonight. We don't want any stragglers. We want to cut ties with everything that keeps us bound to this realm so you can lift us up to your realm. We want to operate in the supernatural presence of the manifestation of Jesus. So, great Holy Spirit, make our hearts holy. Make our hearts pure. In Jesus' name. Now, if you believe God has really forgiven you, I want you to raise your hand. If you believe it.